Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, leadership development coach, Kathy Archer, and I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Have you ever felt like someone's had power over you and it didn't feel good? or that they've been using their power in ways that have been maybe manipulative or uncomfortable? Or have you ever not understood your power and how to use it? Then you are in for a treat, because today we are talking to Bill Scott. Bill Scott is an innovative management consultant, trainer and speaker with a unique blend of business and social service training. And you're gonna hear more about that in the podcast. He delights in helping people identify their strengths and learning how to leverage them collaboratively with others. Bill practices from a strength-based, believing challenges that limit innovative thinking can be reframed as opportunities that open up possibilities and creativity. You're gonna hear Bill talk today about a couple different concepts And this is going to be part one of this video. We're going to talk about the the five types of leadership. And then we're going to transition next week into maybe not so much leadership, but what Bill terms as followership. And he's going to introduce you to the the theory around followership and what it is. So this week, make sure you stay tuned. Keep notes for the the five types of, of power and how you maybe can use yours in ways that are more helpful as a leader, or maybe that you've been using incorrectly or that you felt used incorrectly. And then next week, like I say, you're going to learn how to shift that into followership. You are also going to hear about the journey that Bill and I have been on together and the work that we're doing together. I've known Bill for many, many years, and we work collaboratively on some projects. And so you're going to see those uh, or hear us talk about those in in this episode and in the in next week's episode. So without further ado, let's transition into this week's episode with Bill Scott. Howdy. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Bill and I were just talking before we got onto the podcast. Bill and I do this Zoom thing and have done this Zoom thing for, you know, Bill, we didn't actually check how many years. Got a guess? Um, Yeah, six. Okay, six years every week. Every week we are on a Zoom call and we've been working together on some thoughts and some strategies and some theories and some stuff and we've pulled stuff together and I'm going to tell you more about that towards the end of the call. Uh, First I want to sort of tell you how I met Bill. Many many years ago, we won't talk about how many, when I was in a leadership position and our organization was growing and developing and we were getting some training, Bill came to do some training for our organization once for a bigger group And then again, for my group, because I specifically loved the work Bill was doing. And I'm like, you need to come do this for my group. And Bill, you remember that trip? I do. I do remember that trip. I remember a very long ride from Grand Prairie, (laughs) uh, about two and a half hours, actually. Yeah, because I, of course, if you guys don't know where I live, I live about six hours north of Edmonton. So yeah, Bill, Bill came up, did some training for my organization, and then Bill helped with proposal writing for the organization I was working for. And so Bill and I worked on, I don't know if we worked on more than one proposal, but I very vividly remember one in particular. At least two, I think. Yeah, probably. And we went back and forth and I learned so much from Bill. I was like, oh my God. So when I went out on my own, I reached out to Bill. And I think, Bill, maybe I reached out to you we didn't prepare this. This is kind of funny. Um, maybe did I reach out to you about this, my strengths finder? 
I think that's where we started. Yeah, that's my recollection as well. Yeah, yeah. So Bill loves the Strengths Finder. He'll. This is not going to be the last time Bill will be on the podcast. You'll probably hear more from Bill over time, and we'll get to talk about that. But yeah, I was looking at how do I develop my strengths and grow my strengths. Bill jumped in, helped me out. You want to take it from there, Bill? Where Where did our work go from there? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I think both of us had an interest in how do you create workplaces that you're excited to be a part of? Um, both of us had had long careers in the social profit sector, and I'd been out on my own as a consultant for a while and had found appreciative inquiry just before I went out on my own. And so a real strength-based focus, I think, was part of what both of us had. And intuitively, we knew that that was the way we wanted to be with people and and that other people must want that as well. I mean, who wants to go to work and not be not want to be there? <laughs> and uh, and so it took us a while. I don't I don't remember exactly how long it took us, but eventually we ended up calling the work magnetic workplaces because that really described how we wanted to see workplaces be after we'd left them. Um, really magnetic ones where people couldn't wait to get up in the morning to go to them. Um, and, and so, yeah, that was kind of the, the next logical phase of our work together. Yeah. So if you want to know more about our work together, stay tuned because you're definitely going to hear more about that. But Bill, back up for a minute and tell the listeners how you got to where you are today. You've been in the, the social profit sector for a long time and notice Bill, maybe explain that too. You call it social profit sector. Some people call it nonprofit. What's the difference? Well, for me, it's a, a, quantum difference in terms of language. Uh, appreciative inquiry people talk about language creating worlds. Uh, this is one of those times. Um, I did work in the nonprofit sector for 21 years, but I really got tired as an executive director saying what it was that we didn't do. You don't hear the major corporations talking about being a for-profit company or what have you. They talk about what it is that they're doing, what their mission is. Um, and so, you know, from my perspective, what nonprofit organizations do is create social good or social profit in their communities. And so to me, they're social profits. Um, and I think that it really um, identifies for people the impact that they have in community. And that's why the people that I've talked to anyway, like the term. Social profit. All right. So tell us where did where, what was the beginning of your career in the social profit slash nonprofit sector? Well, I spent most of my time in the social profit sector working in children, youth, and family programs. Uh, started out in residential assessment and treatment um, in the Okanagan of BC. Uh, we had one of the very few staffed models, which meant we got to go home after eight hours. Um, we would go in, do our shift, and leave, as opposed to the house parent model. Uh, so I worked there for about six years or so uh, as a frontline worker and as a team leader, and then uh, chased the love of my wife to love of my life to uh, Victoria, thinking that eventually she would become my wife, and thankfully she did. Um, to finish my uh, social work degree and also to um, start a new job as a coordinator of, uh, of community services for, again, in the children and families uh, sector. Um, and then uh, after about uh, five or six years of us living in Victoria, uh, we made the very difficult decision to move back to the lower mainland uh, in the Vancouver area uh, as I'd accepted a job as an executive director after taking my MBA. 
Um, and so I worked as an executive director for nine years um, at an agency where we did everything from uh, prenatal care to um, people in their 60s who were in our job club. Uh, so that was kind of the, the, the social profit time, about 21 years. And then I left to become an independent consultant um, and uh, been doing it ever since. And you, okay, first, your wife is a child and youth care instructor. So I'm a child and youth care grad. So that, you know, has a special place in my heart. And then tell us a little bit about, because you've used the term appreciative inquiry a couple times. If, for those listeners who don't know what that is, tell us what that is. And I mean, you, you're, you're, I know you're trained in that. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the essence of appreciative inquiry is really about a philosophical way of being. Uh, we look at how do you build on strengths as opposed to, um, you know, fix weaknesses. And that doesn't mean you ignore weaknesses. It means you come at them from a different angle. You say, okay, this is, this is causing us difficulty. That's what we want to avoid. What is it that we want to move toward? How can we move toward that? What are the things that we're going to put in place? Uh, a lot of people who are um, interested in appreciative inquiry think of it as a model um, for change development, for HR, for uh, virtually anything you can think of that involves people and human systems. Um, but I prefer to think of it as a, a philosophical approach to how you work with people, how you lead your life, um, and those kinds of things. I don't think I've ever asked you this question before, but do you use appreciative inquiry? Bill also is an instructor at Simon Fraser University. So do you use appreciative inquiry when you, t when you are doing your work there? Absolutely. I use the philosophy. I don't always teach the model, uh, right. but I always use the philosophy. And in fact, um, every class that I do at Simon Fraser, I start out with making a case for a strengths-based perspective because so many of my uh, students in the business department, which is where I teach, um, are used to fixing things. You know, they're used mm -hmm. to dealing with things from a, from a negative perspective. And I want to open their minds to the possibility that we can look at uh, leveraging strengths as opposed to simply always finishing uh, uh, addressing weaknesses. And to me, that means, you know, exposing them to the kinds of concepts that are behind appreciative inquiry and the sort of philosophy that, that surrounds its um, application. So for those of you who know me, listen to me, follow my work, you know that I'm very positive, some people will say, and some people will say, Kathy always sees the good in everything. And so you can see why Bill and I connect and the the... The work we do together, again, as Bill said, creates magnetic workplaces. So who wouldn't want to be at a workplace where we are focused on strengths and growing strengths and appreciating that and focusing on the good work we do? Knowing full well, and again, this is a whole other podcast, knowing full well there are challenges still, but how do you see it from a different perspective? So, Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. There is a whole other podcast in that, but... <laughs> You know, I do want to emphasize it's not about avoiding weaknesses. It's about yeah. coming at them from a different angle. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Okay. Which brings us to today's topic, because this does create some kerfuffle in people's minds and in the way they lead at times. And that is the whole idea of power. Where do you want to start this conversation, Bill? Well, perhaps with the classic definitions that talk about the types of power is as good a place as any. 
Um, and and so Raven and French, way back in, I think, 1959, talked about five forms of power, which have been added on to since then. But the five forms are coercive power. So um, basically, I have the ability to make you do something simply uh, by, you know, using the, the strength of my personality or what have you. Um, I, it, it often involves threats. Um, so that's one form. Reward okay, wait, wait, pause. Yep. Coercive power is the first one. Give me an example without breaching confidentiality of where maybe you've seen coercive power throughout your career. Well, I think anybody who has dealt with government funding bodies will really identify with this particular uh, model. And I'll just tell you a quick story. I was dealing with uh, one funder. Um, and this funder provided us with a contract um, and then said, oh, and by the way, person X from my organization will be directly supervising that individual or you won't have the contract. Um, ah. And so it was the or you won't have the contract piece that was coercive. And of course, that was totally inappropriate for another um, organization to be supervising my my staff person. There's a whole bunch of of legal issues involved, not to mention uh, moral and ethical ones. Uh, and so I, I said, well, uh, I'm not willing to go with that. And so that individual exercised the coercive power and took the contract away from us. Yeah. And I know organizations can give oodles of examples of that, with the, especially where that power and control with the funder. That comes into play so, so often. You know, we, Bill and I were talking about the the proposals that we did together and one little teeny tiny T not crossed or I not dotted and you would lose the contract. And that's still the way it is today. Mm -hmm. um, that hasn't changed. And yeah, it's very much about we hold the control and we're going to exercise that. Very much so. In fact, on that on that inst instance of, of uh, proposals, uh, we put together a consortium of agencies that were going to all propose similar kinds of programming. One of the agencies that was part of our consortium got their proposal to the office three minutes after the deadline, and the proposal was not yeah. accepted. Yeah. We have the power and we'll use it. <laughs> all right. Tell so the first one is? Coercive Coercive. Power. The second one is? Well, in no particular order, the second one is legitimate power. So legitimate power is one where we use our title, our authority to tell people what they're going to do. So Kathy, um, somebody has to work overtime tonight. And so I need it to be you. Um, I'm your boss. So I have the ability to tell you to do that. Um, so legitimate power is about our title. It's about, you know, what comes with that title. Uh, like mom, dad, grandma. Yeah, you know, on a personal <laughs> level. <laughs> Unfortunately, as you know, when they become teenagers and beyond, doesn't quite cut it anymore. Doesn't work quite as well. So yeah, the title, and I think in organizations sometimes this is the problem. I was talking to somebody yesterday. Titles change and definitions change, and so mm -hmm. I think that's sometimes where some of that gets blurred where a coordinator in one organization does this and that would be a manager in this organization and a supervisor over here. And it's like, whoa, what do all these titles mean? Yeah, and, and it's also problematic and I don't see it quite as much in the social profit sector, but it's certainly a problem in other areas where they use what we call a matrix uh, form yes. of supervision, right? So you've got somebody who perhaps 
is supervising you relative to a project that's been put together for six months and somebody else is your regular supervisor on an ongoing basis. And what do you do when the legitimate power of both is being exercised on you to do two diametrically opposed things? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had a client that just had that the other day and she was so frustrated and one of the things that she want, one of her goals is to influence within the matrix. Mm. And, and that's typically when we think of influencing, we think of influencing the people we super, supervise, but she also wants to in, bleh, influence up as well. And yep. yeah, when you've got this weird matrix thing happening, it, it, yeah, it just totally blurred lines and made things really difficult. And I think what's really important about what you just said, Kathy, is to differentiate between power and influence. Mm. They're not the same things. Um, uh, quite often, I'll put up a, um, a slide when I'm doing work with, with groups, and particularly with my students at the university, and the picture will be of people like, um, I'm going to date myself now, Madonna, Martin Luther King, Steve Jobs, um, you know, Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King. And I'll ask the question, um, do these people um, have power over you? And the, the answer to that is no. By and large, those people are not going to make them do anything. But do they have influence? Absolutely. Without a doubt, yeah. You know, and so how do we how do we differentiate between those two things? None of those people would be using legitimate or coercive power, for instance, as we've already discussed but they would potentially use other forms of power, which we'll talk about in a minute. And can I use both power and influence? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think it's, uh, it's important in some instances to use both. Um, you know, and, and at some point, organizations need to get things done. And so, you know, you may not want to work overtime tonight, but you know what? Uh, the snow stopped. Jake from getting to work on time. He's going to be a half an hour late. And Kathy, you need to hang out here because we can't leave the place unstaffed. Um, so at that point, I may need to use it. I might have started with rational persuasion, which is an influence tactic. Okay, but, yeah. And if that didn't work, I might have to move to using my legitimate power. I think the, the real important piece is when using power to be using it with discretion and to be using it knowingly, I think too often we go into default mode when we use power, um, when we're not totally aware of, of the impact it's having. Oh, I thought, yeah, that's really important. Say that again. We need to be aware? Yeah, we need to be aware of what we're, you know, what power we're using. Um, yeah. and, and we need to be aware of the circumstances and whether it's the right time to be using it. I think sometimes we just go into autopilot with power because it's yeah. easier. There's one thing we know about um, three forms of power and that they're, and that's that they're easy to use. It's easy to use threats. It's easy to, um, you know, tell people that I'm your boss so that you have to do it. And it's easy to reward or punish people, which is the third form of power. We'll All talk right. About so coercive power, the, Le it's not title power. Legitimate. Legitimate power. And the third one. Reward, reward. power. Okay, tell now us about reward. Yeah, this is the last of what we call the positional powers. Um, and so reward power is I have the ability to give you time off or I have the ability to uh, give you, um, you know, a promotion or whatever it is for doing something. 
So for instance, let's imagine that you and I were working on one of those proposals, but we're both internal and I'm your boss. And I say to you, look, Kathy, I know you've got to work overtime tonight to get this proposal done. And if you do that, you don't have to come in until noon tomorrow. Right. So perhaps it's right. going to take you only an hour, but you're going to get the whole morning off. What a great deal for you. Right. So yeah. it's a reward. We can also use punishment. You know, either you get this report into me by 430 today um, or else there are going to be consequences for that. Um, so, you know, you can use it either way. Um, and, you know, obviously reward power is much nicer. Um, but both of them are short term in terms of their lasting impact, according to the research. So those three are called which? Those are called positional power. Okay. Those three are p forms of p positional power. And the other two? The other two. Well, again, in no particular order, um, expert power. Um, expert power is when somebody has been around a very long time. And so as a result, they've got some knowledge and some expertise. Um, so, for instance, uh, you might um, see that happening a lot, actually, in the in the U.S. with the uh, the American Senate, where they have uh, long-serving senators who have been around uh, for donkey's years, and they know how the system works, and they know how to get something moved from point A to point B, and so they'll mentor people around that process uh, to help them understand that in order to get to a particular place, this is where you need to go. So if you're looking for that kind of information, you're going to find the person who has expert power. Let me offer one more example. Imagine you're working in a factory um, and the machine uh, that is critical to the development of your product or the making of your product breaks down. And you just have the general manager of maintenance who's just new on the job, been there for six months. And then you have Fred. Fred has worked on that machine for the last 30 years. And he knows the ins and outs of that machine like you wouldn't believe. Technically, you should probably be going to the general manager of maintenance because that's what his job title is all about. Um, but most people are going to go to Fred because Fred knows the machine. He knows exactly what's going to have to be done to baby that machine to make it till the end of the shift. Um, and so people approach him and ask him for ideas and thoughts about how to do it. Which can be good and can have its challenges. It certainly can, you know, and, and particularly if people use that in a protective kind of way or a way to enhance their own self-esteem or, you know, their own, um, you know, look at the world and, and how they fit into it. Um, it can be, and I think that's true of almost anything, right? Um, you know, there's, there's flip sides to virtually everything in life. Uh, just as there are uh, what I would call situational um, alternatives to when you should use certain forms of power, for instance. Yeah, and the situation I'm thinking about right now is the, um, oh, what's the term for the the leader who has been there from the beginning? Oh, uh, founder. The founder syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. So the person who started the organization or has been there since the beginning of time, it feels like, they have all of this knowledge and if we don't sort of take that knowledge and move it into other places or move it into other ways, partly we lose that knowledge if they leave, but partly we also keep them too busy because we keep coming back to them for things that we don't need to be coming back to them for. Mm, and yeah. so it can be a it can be a bit of a, a sore thumb in organizations. That's right. I think, you know, I mean, part of it is if those people can mentor others, 
then, you know, I mean, it's that idea of giving away power to get it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really critical piece you're raising. Which brings us to the last one, I think. Yeah, the last of the five that uh, that were originally designed was uh, referent power. And we see referent power in people like Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, and others, uh, you know, um, Mother Teresa, people that are world-renowned for their selfless spirit and giving natures. Um, and so referent power, we will, we will follow those people, not because they have the position that uh, requires us to follow them, but because personally we're attracted to those people and we want to be a part of their orbit. Um, and so typically, you know, with referent power, it's somebody who's, who's you know, really got that kind of, um, you know, ability to persuade us. They have influence with us more than they have power. And is it respect? I think respect is one piece of it. I don't think that's all that it is. It's also because they, you know, like a Martin Luther King or a Mahatma Gandhi or a Mother Teresa, they have ideas. They have a way of looking at the world that's attractive to us and so on. Yeah. I think about when the story we were talking at the beginning about our work together, after I'd left my organization and I reached out to you, you had the expert power without a doubt in some of the areas. There was also that reverent power. And when we first worked together, it took us a while to move through some of that because I very much held back mm -hmm. and I would defer to you. And I chuckle now because I think in some ways there's technical stuff where I have the expert power Absolutely. and I still defer to Bill for spelling and grammar because mine sucks. <laughs> so we've created. <laughs> well, you know, and, and isn't that what uh, the essence of good teamwork should be is that you're filling in one another's areas of challenge, right? Yeah. Um, and that you're mentoring one another. I've learned a lot about technology um, as a result of our collaboration. And, uh, and I hope that you've learned some stuff as well relative to, you know, the, the issues that are important to me. So, you know, I mean, uh, it's another example of, of making sure that you bring opposites together when you're pulling teams together. Yeah. Um, one of the things I do with the Strengths Finder, I use it with my, um, with my people at, at the fourth year level in, at SFU is, you know, matching them up based on their talents being complementary as opposed mm. to being the same. Um, and it's been effective. I mean, there have been very few instances when I've gotten feedback from the teams and saying, why on earth would you have put us together? It's yeah. more often been, man, are we ever glad we connected? Connected. Yeah. All right. So that's, so review the, the seven types of power again, quick. Five. We talked Sorry, about five. Yeah. Five. Um, well, again, the positional power types, coercive, legitimate reward, um, the, uh, the personal power types are referent and expert. And most recently, there's been a, you know, a, a movement to add a, a sixth one, which is informational power. Hmm. And uh, so the informational power is just as it sounds. Um, it's really about having knowledge and having the ability to distribute it or not, uh, depending on your particular uh, involvement with the group. Um, would, would that be similar to our chief medical officers these days? Um, I think that there's some of that for sure. I mean, they, uh, you know, we, we uh, acknowledge them as experts in the field right. of public health. Um, so there's expert power at play there as well. Yeah. And they are choosing to keep us informed so that we can make 
our you know our own choices um, here in BC where I live um, our medical health officer has been pretty transparent about what needs to happen and why and I think as a result you know the current spike in COVID cases notwithstanding um, <laughs> she's been pretty effective at getting yeah. her message across and people have been willing to listen to her guidance and yeah. I think there's a combination of of you know, her being transparent about the information, the information she has, the expert power that she has, the legitimate authority she has to make the orders that she makes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also the, you know, the growing reference that people have for her um, and her, her message of being safe, being kind and being calm to, with one another. And we could say ditto for Alberta. So, yeah, perfect example. So that's the power some other ideas beyond power that you are really starting to talk more about, share more about, and teach more about. You want to jump into those? I know you want to know what Bill is going to say about followership, and that episode is coming next week. So make sure you stay tuned for the second half of my interview with Bill Scott, where we talk about why leaders need to be followers. If you want to know more about Bill's and my work, you can go to magneticworkplace.com and you can find out more. Bill, tell people where they can find you. Valuingpeople.ca and I can also be found at innovationpartners.com. If you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. Inside of the Training Library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com slash library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Go make the rest of your day awesome. <music>